there were a lot of people pushing subscription ideas at CES this year. I'm not sure really why. Maybe it was because the only way they could think of monetizing their service. I think the way to do it is to piggyback on some other service. And so it's a value added, but you don't have to necessarily subscribe to mm. that individual service. And then it becomes a differentiator for your product that you have this and the other person doesn't. Uh, that's probably the best way to try and get that to fly. Hello, and welcome back to The Bike Lane. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Back with us today is John Quain, founder and editor-in-chief for OnTheRoadToAutonomy.com. John's a technology journalist veteran and contributor to The New York Times, contributing editor at Tom's Guide, automotive and mobility contributor for AARP, and columnist covering smart cities for digital trends. John's my favorite kind of journalist, a hands-on techie just like me. John regularly tests, reviews, and researches the latest and greatest in tech, digging deep to learn how to improve everyday life through great experiences on great technology. John has a specific focus researching autonomous vehicles and the ability to save lives while reducing pollution. John founded On the Road to Autonomy, an online weekly guide to the developments and news about connected and autonomous vehicles. John, welcome back to the bike lane. Thanks. Great to be here. All right. So let's jump right in. CES felt like it was uh, back, but back to a more sustainable size. So a lot of trends and, and we're seeing a lot of a lot of OEM activity, tier one activity, still micromobility. What were some of the key trends that that you saw and you you had the opportunity to spend uh, quite some time and log some steps, I'm assuming, uh, on the floor this year at CES in Vegas? Yeah, I did uh, log a few miles on, on the showroom floors and, and in the hotels around the city. The West Hall was definitely uh, full again. And the one trend I did see was much more agricultural, big industry stuff. Um, you know, the John Deere Caterpillars and the Hyundais of the world with their big industrial pieces. And that autonomous component that was years ago, you know, we were going to buy our own autonomous vehicles by now. We'd be driving, you know, they'd be driving us around cities. And now it's much more focused on the reality of, well, maybe trucks and industrial things, that last mile stuff, stuff at the harbors and warehousing and stuff that'll go autonomous first. They're limited venues, there's a limited places they're going to go. And um, that seems a more practical thing. So a lot of that emphasis in that West Hulse, which if, and there's also that silly thing with Tesla's running down that tube that goes from one part of, if people haven't been there, from one part of the convention center to another. Last year, uh, there was hardly anybody on it because there weren't that many people at CES. So I was using it all the time. I mm -hmm. used it like 10 times or something mm -hmm. just to save the steps. But that's still there. But yeah, definitely more manageable. And companies like VinFast, you know, Vietnamese um, EV maker, uh, announcing that they're going to be doing more in the U.S. in this market. So that was also interesting. Yeah, we saw TOG, T-O-G-G, uh, Turkish uh, EV startup, if we got that correct, uh, showing off what they're doing and uh, kind of bringing a different flavor to it. I knew they were coming. I didn't realize they were going to have one of the largest booths in West Hall. So that was that was kind of impressive. You always kind of wonder if size of booth is representative to uh, market position or or otherwise. But um, it, it was cool to see, see them there. And did you see the BYD vehicle that was brought up from China that I think it was like like low 30,000 
US dollar MSRP. It looked like a luxury vehicle. It was kind of insane. Yes. And I really noticed that a lot of talk about them because uh, they're surpassing Tesla and in the marketplace. And um, I just did the other big trade show, which is IFA in uh, Berlin in September. I had traveled around Europe a little bit before that and noticed, gee, there are all these electric vehicles all over the place. Who's that that I didn't mm-hmm. recognize? And they were all BYD yep. vehicles everywhere. Um, I, I even saw a few Mach-E, Ford Mustang Mach-E's in Copenhagen, which is kind of weird somehow. So yeah, and they are definitely a force in the marketplace. And, you know, we were skeptical a few years ago and here they are. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see some under $30,000 EVs this year. And that'll make a little change the market again. The rotating or kind of like bringing back in the bike lane part of this is <laughs> every vehicle I saw had a monster screen on it, which has room to put up alerts and play video games uh, when you're parked, of course. Uh, like, so there, there's the space on the screen and uh, there is a bias here because, you know, my day job at Valtech is what we do. We got, we got a lot of automotive Android pieces, but it did seem like everything I saw was, was automotive Android powered, whether it was running gas, Google automotive services or our Android, which, which was confidence inspiring to, to see that, or at least from an HMI perspective, clearly there's QNX on running on the safety systems for ADAS emergency braking. We'll get to that in a little bit, but from a, a user perspective, if we're trying to roll out safety features that are going to be communicating between the vulnerable road user and the driver, we are seeing that ubiquity around a common platform where you can be deploying these sort of apps. And I, I think it's it's very comforting to see a lot less vaporware and noise. I mean, I think there still was a couple flying cars, but you know, the stuff that I, I the, the vehicles that I was seeing to your point earlier, they were running. And even though the Tesla loop, as you mentioned, was, was uh, a lot busier, Another point, John, is originally that was supposed to be autonomous vehicles you hopped in to zip between Central and and West. And uh, I still think they get the gold star for using the boring company. That's for making a whole, not for being dull. Uh, but it, it, like they, they, it, it's a cool thing. And there are human drivers in the vehicles taking you around. So I, I think that we've seen a lot less vaporware and more of like real deployments on the floor. And I know there's always going to be some sense of the the future but it just felt less jetsons more actual 2024 2025 things that we're going to be seeing yes i think much more of a reality focused if you will and um yeah that vaporware you know came from microsoft days of they mm-hmm. would you know launch products just to scare off the competition and never actually deliver on the product um yeah there was a you're right i think there was a lot less of that there were a lot fewer prototype cars that would ride around that couldn't run the rain because they've been hand-built, things like that that were a few years ago that I remember, and technologies that were more far-fetched. Most of the suppliers, too, uh, I know we want to talk about that, were uh, reality-focused, too, to practical things that people could use most and, and are starting to use in their vehicles. And to that, the screen and alerts and what you can see I continue to see a, a technology, a sensor technology that I wish was in the most of these, you know, vehicles or semi-autonomous vehicles, and that's far infrared. Um, and the benefit of it is that um, it can really see through rain and things like that that flummox other systems, and um, it gives you 
a much, you know, it, that's thermal imaging and far thermal imaging. So you can really see things that are almost invisible to the naked eye. Mm -hmm. Um, and the classic case is seeing a pedestrian one time when I was testing a, a vehicle, step out from between parked cars mm -hmm. down the block in the pouring rain. And the system saw it very clearly. I didn't see the guy at all, I'll be honest. Um, and he was wearing white and there were white vehicles. I mean, it's just a bad mm -hmm. situation. And systems like that could really make a difference. I did take another ride, an updated version, which more distance now, uh, from a company called Teledyne Fleur and they, um, they've been around for a while, but, uh, they've improved the cameras improved. The prices have come down to that and made it a much more practical thing. And their whole push was all they talked about was, uh, bicyclists and pedestrians. And they went over it again and again and again, drilling it, uh, you know, uh, pounding on that point that you could see them much more clearly and you're going to need to be able to, uh, at a greater distance and this way would make it actually practical to stop a vehicle to avoid a collision that way. So, um, and that's a real product. Um, they are promising some OEM this year will put it into a vehicle, but I haven't heard anything yet. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, uh, in the entire automotive industry, speaking for Detroit, since I've been duly appointed to speak for the city and the entire uh, micro-ability community of all of Southeast Michigan, I can tell you that um, we're still dealing with some belt tightening and we've got you know still high interest rates on vehicles and uh, right. these these types of technologies aren't mandated. So we'll get to this a little bit of when it comes to legislation and what's going on with the infrastructure bill. But to stay on the, the point about technologies to do a better job. I, I saw on via LinkedIn a a really tragic video of a Tesla, which presumably was on um, um, autopilot, uh, going straight into a, a box truck that was laid sideways on a freeway. And initially, like probably most, I had the initial like this is terrible uh, reaction. And after thinking about it a little bit more, it, it started. And I started uh, reading comments from people that I know. Uh, I like that it shows the the people I know comments first before it gets into the. Um, the, the mass, it, it, the, the conversation was about like what kind of sensors are needed to truly be safe. And I think we're getting to a point where we're doing a better job than humans. And I, I want to go back to this point you made about you didn't see the the person walking out that had a white outfit on and, and matching the, the white uh, color of the vehicles. And, and you have rain, obstructive view, and probably a lot of cognitive load as well, driving in the rain and um, being in an urban environment, which can be distracting in and of itself. I feel right. like the the sensors are are getting better. And, and the, the argument was, well, is, is having cameras good enough alone uh, on its own, or do we need to have additional sensors? And I'd love to kind of get your take about both the types of sensors and sensor fusion, but also like, are we at a point or are we about to hit a point where even though we're going to have these types of tragic videos from Tesla, what we're not seeing is the, I don't know, dozens or hundreds of thousands of headlines of people getting hurt or killed because the systems are doing are doing a better job than if a human was driving. So I'm kind of curious to get your take on where we're at for 2024 on that 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 balance. Well, I think um, automatic emergency braking in vehicles is clearly um, saving a lot of um, injuries, at least, and certainly money for vehicles and damage and, and probably um, lives as well. Unfortunately, you know, um, there was a lot of discussion about how distracted American drivers are and that the reason that we have these astounding number of fatalities when everything was going down for years 
And then after smartphones, as they became more and more prevalent, this the fatality started to pick up again. And we're right back to where we started before, unfortunately, even given airbags and everything else that we have in these vehicles. And you think of that and adaptive cruise control and these emergency braking systems, and we're still seeing the same number of fatalities. That's pretty awful. Um, so that distraction is really a problem. So yeah, automatic emergency braking, it is an active safety system and it certainly will help. Um, as to the sensors, so I was talking with people and recalling fondly 10 years ago at a CES where um, I had a panel there with representatives, engineers from Toyota and, and GM and Ford and all the major OEMs and a couple of other people. And uh, Strickland, who was then the uh, head uh, of NHTSA, he actually showed up and, you know, walked on stage and just chatted for a couple of seconds with me and then went on. Anyway, the conversation, what all those engineers were worried about 10 years ago, they all thought autonomous vehicles were great. They all thought they would be coming. They all thought they could make vehicles safer for everyone. The only concern they had was Tesla. They all worried that that's just that the they used insufficient technology and were trying to do things that were not possible with the technology and that they would have deaths and that they would have accidents and they would set the industry back years. Um, one could arguably say, yes, that and the, the Uber accident where some of the systems were, were not turned on, set that back quite a bit. In terms of sensors, yes, video is not enough. No engineer that works in this business would accept that as being sufficient for uh, level five autonomy, absolutely not. So that's sort of irresponsible of them as, as demonstrated by numerous videos. And a lot of people um, still are going to put LiDAR in. It, ha it was really expensive to your point. Yes, it used to be oh, a few years ago, $500 at least for one little LiDAR sensor. Um, now they're under $100, you know, where they're getting their so luxury vehicles first, but um, they're definitely getting there and they're getting better. Uh, to your point to collision, you probably run these tests too. There's a, a couple of parking lots around CES where they'll do uh, closed track sort of mm -hmm. demonstrations and uh, Luminar, uh, which makes a LiDAR system. So they've been pushing their LiDAR for years, but um, they rented a Lexus. I'll just tell you what it was, a Lexus. And then they had a comparable Lexus outfitted with LiDAR. And the, the rent-a-car Lexus had a, collision avoidance system on it, right? It uses cameras and radar. And we try to run over something in the parking lot. I've done this before. I shouldn't laugh, but it, it's, it's, you know, when you know it's just a dumb Close track, yeah. Yeah, you're just hitting yeah. this stuff thing. And that Lexus with the camera, the existing one, the collision avoidance and, and collision um, automatic braking, hit the thing every time. And with the new system from uh, Luminar, it, it managed to miss it. It also would swerve around the pedestrians. So they're adding another level of active safety mm -hmm. in the car to not just brake, but also swerve around it. And I think that's what you're going to need because you're talking about speeds where just the physics are such that even, even if you detect it immediately, you're not going to be able to bring a car to a full stop. So what do you do and how do you avoid um, that collision? Um, we're going to need systems like that. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to get people to put their phones down. We're just going to need to do more, I guess. Yeah, especially uh, with uh, GM saying they're not including CarPlay or Android Auto, where you just 
got to think that's a bluff. I don't know this, but like, it's just like, come on, guys. Like, you know, it, like if the idea from a safe, purely actually for the listeners that maybe we're jam, like, what are you, what's Jake talking about? This? Oh, I'm saying is like from a safety perspective, yeah. what we want is phones plugged in or Wi Fi connected and on the wireless charger, not in your hand. And right. I, I, you know, I'm really surprised. I should write a blog about this. Is that, you know, first of all, give the customer what they want. Great Joe Clayton quote, uh, CTA Hall of Fame member and former CEO of, of Dish. And, you know, he, he was real big on give the customer what they want, number one. <laughs> number two is um, from a safety perspective, what we want is not just laws that say you can't hold your phone, which I, I think now most states have that law, but actually right. good behavior, good Good, like common sense. Where now, if you're if you're an automaker and you make an intentional choice of of one having safety, but then two telling people they can't use their phones on their their car screens that that are, has a an Apple or a Google experience that they're they're used to. That I mean, that's a safety issue. Aside from like, oh well, yeah, you can do your Spotify built in or you do this. I, I understand all of those points. I just I'm not quite there yet. You know what I mean? Like if we're trying to keep the phones down, let's let, let's make sure consumers can plug them in or hook them up wirelessly and not have a reason to be holding their phone. Yeah, I think any any trick we can do to to get people to give up their phone, it's been really difficult. And um, I've sort of given up telling people to do that. That used to be a constant drumbeat of articles and things that I would do all the time. But um, driving around, you look at the car next to you and people are on their phone. So trying to make it more voice controlled, more voice activated, uh, trying to do something like that. Oh, something we didn't talk about. Speaking of that, I got to mention this. Uh, Volkswagen and AI was everywhere at GES, okay? It was AI. And Volkswagen uh, did their presentation. It was just on press days at, at uh, the day before CES. They had a great demo and they talked about how they were going to introduce AI into the car and they were going to incorporate chat GPT. They had a company that was doing the integration. And of course, you can imagine what went wrong, went wrong. Um, how it was going to make it more accurate. You know, your car would understand you. And when you spoke and the uh, head of VW asked the car, so who makes the best automobiles in the world? And the car started talking about Otterbach. And where you can buy Otterbox and they have to shut it down really quickly. Uh, for people who don't know, Otterbox makes the cases for mm -hmm. smartphones. So that was pretty funny. Whoops. Uh, so I don't think AI is going to be the solution. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, it's like the new level five autonomy. It's like, okay, we, there's probably something there when it comes uh, to like getting user help on a vehicle or finding a restaurant like as a as a built-in feature for for google restaurant search i will say this john that again we're going back to like the less vaporware and more real it, right. i'm glad that we still have ces because it really lets the right technologies and the right experiences win and it also gives you a good sense of like what is the actual technical readiness level for this tech in this use case and i think we have all seen what ChatGPT and other generative AIs are ready for production for and right. things that are still maybe in the sandbox a little bit. <laughs> yes, it was just, it was pretty funny, but we'll come to it. We talk about bikes too. It was even in bikes, just crazy stuff. Whoa, I didn't know there was, so AI in bikes? Yeah, so Ertopia, which makes like a carbon fiber bike that I think uh, you know, most of us cycling enthusiasts, and if you like e-bikes, kind of drool over this. It's like a oh, carbon fiber, yeah. Uh, it's like the new version of what were those Cannondale bikes, right? The ten thousand mm dollar -hmm. carbon fiber bikes. Well, now you can get an e-bike. It's carbon fiber, and Utopia is uh, 
promising. It was a prototype, you know, it's just, I think they might be taking orders, but to put um, AI chat GPT in their um, bikes. And again, it's more, it's more like extensive voice control, you know, navigation that would show up on the bike screen, things like that. Um, distance, feed it, you know, tell it you want to, you want a 10 mile trip today and you want to do X and it will plot a route for you. Things like that. Um, That's cool. Yeah. I mean, eventually if it did things like power meter controls, things that people actually use on their bikes that are serious, they could show you what your workout was like and how much it had to help. Um, but they're talking about doing things like, oh, you had a, uh, you didn't sleep well last night. So your commute into work, you might need a little bit of extra boost on the electric part of the bike and that it would automatically recognize that and give you just a little bit more help getting mm. to work, things like that. That seems a little fanciful, but anyway, that's just, just putting that out there was kind of an interesting application. You had me on routing because I, I do think that there's gotta be some, some opportunities for routing improvements from, for those of us in the bike industry, we were familiar with Strava and, and Ryo GPS and Kamut and other great companies that are doing routes both for on-road and off-road but it's it still feels like kind of version 1.0 where it's like here's the heat map and then here's your heat map in purple here's the global heat map in red and you kind of have to figure it out but there's like tricky intersections where it's right. um as a as a vru and kind of a good segue in it's weird for those of you that are listening to the show that aren't cyclists uh may not may not know this but it's almost better as a cyclist to go through a major intersection that has proper signals than to hit all the side roads and then kind of be stuck, like trying to cross a, a five lane road, two and two and one in the center during rush hour. And, and when we plan our group rides or even just getting to a group ride, it's you, you want to make sure that during rush hour, you're taking the major roads that have traffic lights because it's just not safe to play Frogger. Whereas on a Sunday afternoon ride, it's a different deal. So I, I do think there, there may be some opportunities to, uh, in, to, to level that up, whether it's AI or not. It, it's just, that's the piece that, and I've had conversations with several folks in industry about this that work at some of these companies. And it's like, Hey, I'm, this is me with my cycling helmet on, not my, not my Valtech hat, just saying, look, there, there's gotta be some ways to level this up because I, I know where I'm going and I'm, I ride a lot. And for people that were just trying to get out there where there isn't going to be bike lanes and sharrows everywhere, uh, they may need the help to, to figure this out, which, which, uh, goes into equity and goes to some other topics, but kind of curious, John, if you've kind of seen that, I mean, obviously in the big cities, it's a grid and you've got dedicated greenways, but uh, like, are you, where are you seeing that as far as like, almost like first mile, I guess would be the way to, way I think about this is, is traveling via bicycle right. well, or other. I think about it with the features they put in that system for truckers and, and RV owners and stuff. So you switch it into that mode and even so, I still see, you know, semi-tractor trailers on the Merritt Parkway yeah, um, and disasters like that. And, uh, and out here in the country, tractor trailers, there's a covered bridge near me. It's Vermont. I have to have a covered bridge. And mm -hmm. of course, they get turned around, stuck, and they try to turn around a dirt road. Um, happens pretty frequently. It's the same kind of issue. And I think, um, or, or, you know, avoiding left-hand turns. If um, you're using Waze or a system like that, you can... These systems can be programmed to try to avoid dangerous intersections that you see the statistics on them and you know it's a problem. So you direct people around them. Same thing. And, and you know the statistics for the whole week as you're describing. Okay, on a Sunday, not a good route on a Monday, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I, 
as a you know New Yorker too, I have roots going across town that I'm very particular about because it's always dangerous on Manhattan streets, definitely. Yeah. But there are some streets that are a little safer than others, to your point, like a two-way or four-lane busy avenue going across is probably safer than trying to go across on a regular side street just because you can get doored and there are too yep. many, you know, there's so many things going on. And doored so, for listeners, that's when a, a, you're riding a bicycle and, and a passenger door, whether it's an Uber driver or a delivery driver or, or, or a passenger just pops out. And as, as you probably, if you haven't heard of this before, when you're in the backseat of a car, there's no side mirror to know that there's a cyclist or scooter rider coming. So that's bad. And that's also for the drivers out there that have never heard of this. It's like, that is why most of us that ride, ride in the middle of the lane in those streets when you're like, get on the damn sidewalk. Well, the reason why we are in there, one, you don't ride a sidewalk. That's not safe. You, we'd be running into pedestrians and they'd say, get in the street. <laughs> the, the other thing is uh, doors pop open. So when we're going through those, especially suburban riding and you hit an urban section, that's why we're, we're in the lane and, and to, right. in the middle of that lane to be clear of any door that's just going to randomly pop out. And if you ride enough and you commute, that's going to happen. It's not an if, it's a matter of a when you're going to see a yeah. door open up. Oh, I got doored running. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I just didn't expect it. And oh, the person was not looking my way and uh, just threw the door open. Bang. You know, you're just because you're running. Did we get a speed from Strava on this? No, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, <laughs> it is kind of funny because we know, you know you're okay. But like I, I'd say I, I have a, someone in my office that got hit by a car and he's fine as well. But he was through an alley where, where a driver was trying <sighs> to cut traffic going through a back alley in Metro Detroit. So these these types of use cases are real. Again, if you find someone with experience, whether they're driving a car, riding a bike, running, et cetera, like you'll, or even like doing package delivery. When you, and if you see something, you're like, well, I wonder why they did that. It's probably because it's the safest thing for them to do. And it's, uh, it could be efficient too, or like maybe they're lazy, but I, I, I'd like to think that 95% of the time it's, it's for safety because they do this a thousand times. And right. that's, that's the, the routine that, that, that he or she's in when they're doing their job or, or trying to get where they need to go. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on for .gov. So I, like, it's always um, interesting that uh, the, the uh, Transportation Research Board, TRB, is uh, always around slash on top of CES. And there are several folks from our team at Valtech and uh, USDOT that were going back and forth between DC and, and Las Vegas and uh, a lot of action. So obviously we've got an election year coming up, but the, um, the what was interesting that uh, about a, a week and a half ago, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced a progress report. And, and basically the way I look at this is a, is a release that highlighted some of the key initiatives. So I just want to, John, talk a little bit about like what, what we're going to see. So my thoughts is that overall, I'm happy that we're seeing progress. I was a little underwhelmed that that bicycles and generally VRUs um, was not a bigger highlight. In fact, I hit control F and the bicycle VRU pedestrian didn't show up once. Now, before I get too, too nitpicky here, I, we were certainly covered around the, um, the uh, equity um, uh, piece of, the, of that release. And there was a major highlight for air travelers. I get that. I'm assuming that's politically motivated because it didn't seem like that was a safety thing. It was more of a, in my opinion, it was more about consumer sediment. Uh, there's also a big push around, quote, building a nationwide electric vehicle charging network, which obviously there's a lot of um, uh, political capital there. And, um, and, and I think lastly, the, the, the point really around 
uh, where we fall in is these, quote, making roads and vehicles safe for all, end quote, which includes these advanced rules for emergency braking and other topics. So there, there's a lot happening. The money's been deployed. There's been several smart cities out there. Uh, so I, I'm really happy and applaud the the innovation improvement. I hope that stays. I'm not nitpicking when I say that we we don't want to see the the vulnerable road user back to being a sub bullet. We really want to see that front and center. So, John, I'm kind of curious, like from your perspective, and uh, how do you how do you .gov roll into like these consumer products or things that are happening in cities with with OEMs, I feel like we're going to be hitting a um, inflection point around what's going to be sustainable, similar to what I mentioned earlier about CES sustainable. So from a .gov perspective, what what kind of thoughts do you have around this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like to see more regulation around it um, in terms of, and I don't think it's as complicated. You know, it's like um, working with autonomous vehicle technology. I mean, you can sit down with engineers and they'll tell you, you know, this is how many inches you have to be within this. And this is how fast this needs to break. And this is, you know, they, they already know this information. I think you could do some of the same things with this. I think, you know, cities seem to be pre pandemic. We're sort of studying more bike lanes, safety, what they need to do to build a bike lane where it's safe to how would protect pedestrians, what you need to do at corners, um, and signals and that sort of thing. And that seemed to, you know, with everything else come to a halt during the pandemic and with other concerns. And now to sort of get to your point, to get that sort of back in front of people would be helpful. I mean, they're still building bike lanes in New York city, for example, and that's, that's definitely been helpful and people have seemed to get gotten used to it, but there's still a clash there between, uh, you know, messenger bikes and pedestrians are seeing a still a, a high number of accidents like that. So more mm -hmm. work needs to be done in those areas. And that takes, as you just pointed out, money, government money. Um, on the other hand, you're right too, that, you know, with Buttigieg and it, the focus on the infrastructure, there are a lot of states and we know what states those are, where those highways are kind of disrepairing bridges and stuff. And yeah, that needs to be paid attention to as well. But, um, yeah, I would like to see more focus on, on um, encouraging what do we call micro-mobility, you know, cyclists to work commuting, that sort of thing as well. Yeah, the, the government has what's called the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices or the MUTCD. Uh, everything that's funded in .gov has a giant acronym to it. And there is a new version. I haven't even gone gone through and, and picked it up. I, in fact, I'd love to get someone on the bike lane that uh, was involved, um, whether directly or um, has been, you know, lobbying and, and working on these types of changes. But uh, I, we are seeing this here. So I, I'm really encouraged that we're making a, a better step forward towards VRU safety. There still is going to be a social element here. And as you mentioned about like the what's safe by like, this is how many feet for these corners and, and where a bike lane is going to go. Right. Going back to what you said earlier about drivers and distractions, I still feel like in our country, there's a, a gap between prioritizing across the board, prioritizing VRU travel and, and those, those users over vehicle drivers, where a vehicle driver has to wait that, that extra 10 seconds to accommodate a cyclist or a, a pedestrian to get across. And apparently that's a pretty big inconvenience here uh, where I live in, in Southeast Michigan. So kind of curious, I mean, you, you've been in the big city. I mean, what, right. what, what, do, you, what do you expect to see from a social perspective as these new things are rolling out. The pandemic it had more of an impact and is going to have more of an impact on 
traffic in cities than congestion pricing, which doesn't have an impact at all. What happens is it goes down for a little bit for a year or two, and then it's right back where it was before every place that's done it. I mean, just not to say you shouldn't do it if you're looking for revenue, but in terms of, you know, vulnerable road users and their safety, that thing, measures like that don't make a huge difference. What does make a huge difference is what you're talking about, putting these lanes in and then probably putting some kind of physical barrier. Yeah. Uh, I was in St. Louis in a suburb of St. Louis and same thing. They have this, it's a suburb where they have a nice four lanes or more than that divided by a medium with trees on it and stuff. So it's a beautiful thing. They did just recently take out lanes on either side and put in two lane bike lanes, just as you're describing. And just as you're describing, there was a hue and cry from the, the people in that, in that locale. But in point of fact, it really never affected traffic at mm -hmm. all because they just didn't have that much traffic anymore on that road. And yeah, it's just a fact of the matter, you know, we're not going back and forth to work as much. And so giving it over to the cyclist was actually pretty good. And then there was actually, as I'm also a runner, there was a running lane. Yay. Yay. So I be in that lane and not get, you know, sideswiped by cars. And it was seamless, you know, um, to your point about for cyclists and runners and stuff, you're trying to do something that's kind of seamless mm -hmm. as you're doing this physical activity. It really seemed to work just fine. So all that craziness beforehand and complaining later, it just died down and haven't heard anything about it. So I think there's more room to do stuff like that. Just getting past that point is the trick, you know? Yeah. I could tell you this, as a resident, um, here in Southeast Michigan, we say we have two seasons, winter and construction. And, right. uh, and we've had a lot of construction, a lot less winter lately. So it's, it's, uh, I'm sure that's part of it too, is that when people have several of their North, South or East, West routes under construction, it just piles people in traffic and they, seem to always have a rosier memory of how short it used to be to go from A to B. And then it's just, then that 15 seconds when I am trying to make a right turn or trying to clear and that person's bumper is sticking out into my, my bike lane, it, it becomes more of an issue. So right. um, I, I think that, that out of this, we're, we're going to see, I, I think we're going to see continuation of infrastructure spending However, I'm curious, especially as we're looking at uh, another potential government shutdown in front of us and, and budget cuts uh, as a function, especially in election year, will we start seeing cuts? And I don't think it's going to be bridges. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's rail, but yeah. it does kind of sense that if you're not keeping VRUs as its own specific highlight, it might make it a little bit easier for someone to back off. So um, I, I I would just hope that if you're listening to this and you're at a company that that's got a government relations team or you, you're working with a lobbying group, not just in addition to your normal tasks, things you're asking for, this is a coming again, speaking for the Metro Detroit VRU cycling community. I, I would just ask that you ask your, your GR folks to uh, make sure we've got VRUs as its own like heading one, not like a sub bullet of heading two or heading three. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. A little bit about consumer trends. So you mentioned about like legislation and, and um, emergency braking and, and that, that's automotive technology. Clearly right. that's, and it's fantastic. Actually, I should also give a shout out to Bosch. They also have emergency yes. braking now on their bicycles, which is really, really cool. I would love to have Same. that. Love yeah. To see it on kids' bikes too. At some point in the future when they, they can get the cost down and weight down and all that, it'd be fantastic. Uh, but uh, around consumer products though, like the outside of things that are for the automotive industry, 
I, I really feel like going through this the last 10 years and, and working through it, that consumer products that are going to be in your pocket or on your handlebar, that, that, that's the kind of thing that just to me seems like the underlying tech. It, we're making some movement. We've got new stuff in Bluetooth. We've got some new Wi-Fi coming out. Uh, you know, John, you're mentioning cost downs for, for LiDAR and um, um, like far ranging sensors for infrared. And I, I'm curious to get your feeling, John, because like you're, you're right in the thick of consumer tech that like, what, right. what sort of consumer tech should we be looking at that will accelerate or solidify uh, VRU safety based on what you've seen at CES and then leading up to? Well, I, I have to give a shout out to Bosch too, because they, they are the, you know, they've supplied the mid drive motors and, and the drive systems for a lot of e-bikes. So I encounter them quite a bit in bikes that I review and test and actually took a ride with them through Red Rocks during CES, which was a nice break to get away from Las Vegas and all of that. And that was a blast. Um, and, but it was also demonstrating some of that technology to your point, the emergency braking, the ABS brakes basically for bikes, which is awesome and really great. You know, none of that grab the bike and you do a header over the, over the handlebar stuff. Or you grab the bike and nothing happens either is the other <laughs> side of this. So it, it, it like, it, no matter your experience uh, level, it'll stop you the fastest way, safest way possible, which is just right. I, I just thought it was awesome and it's, and I tested a few bikes where it's now on that system. And then even like Bianchi, you know, r ultimate racing bikes. And I was a kid mm -hmm. and I was like, awesome racing bike. Well, still I had awesome, by the way. It's Those still awesome. Most but beautiful I, paint color in the history of bike paint colors. Sorry, specialized track, but like project <laughs> one, we love it track, but man, the Bianchi green is just, I mean, just classic. So I had a Bianchi that was an e-bike through Red Rocks and I was booking it through there's a, a a five mile stretch where it's basically all uphill and i was just like i wanted to work out so i was pushing harder anyway it's very seamless uh love the system so making these bikes more seamless and getting people used to technology sort of being built into their bike and being less you know it's not to be a purist but i, I have a fixie too that has nothing on it but um it, it really made the ride easier and i one safety thing to another item were we had all had helmets with a mesh network on them. Hmm. So we were in a group and it, every once in a while, somebody would say car, car's coming. And we would all, I just That's automatically cool. pull over more to the right, get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just reorient cause I'm looking at the mountains and the rocks and all of that and the canyons and Calico Canyon is there and stuff. And so it was, that was actually very helpful. I found in a group of five of us or more cycling around And if those were more commonplace in our helmets, um, that would also help, you know, just alert other riders and what's coming behind them. That's really cool. I, I could see, um, I could definitely see, especially if there was an open integration for, for amp plus, uh, or, or Bluetooth where, like a Varia rear, rear firing radar would be able to communicate with, with connected, but low cost connected, like Bluetooth beacon, just a buzz. So somebody like those are expensive products I mean, it's, let's, yeah. and they're great, but they're expensive. So that kind of community sharing for safety, that'd be really cool. Like I would love yeah. to see a great point about like, especially if we're running this on a Bluetooth 5.2 system and just that, that could be really cool. Like the, the, that like using consumer tech to, add on to somebody's got the expensive stuff and they can share with everybody else that, that may not be able to afford that or, or choose to have it. Yeah. And it's not too expensive in helmets and it lasts, you know, a number of hours, you know, four or five hours at least. Mm -hmm. And it's hands-free so that you're not reaching for something else. It's not another button you have to push. You don't have to look at it. 
you can still do your sightseeing and enjoy the ride. And then every once in a while, somebody says something or points out something you should look at. Um, or one person was heavy breathing. I won't say who it was struggling to keep up with the rest of us, but otherwise it was great. <laughs> asking for a friend, right? <laughs> yeah. But it was great. I really enjoyed that. Very cool. So another topic I just wanted to talk about with consumer tech is, is the idea of subscriptions. You may know Van Moof, I'm pronounced that correctly, has, yes. has gone into bankruptcy and Dutch e-bike maker, really beautiful product. And uh, I know a lot of folks in New York had these things, but yes. So subscriptions, I, I, I think it was BMW, if I was correct, ha originally tried to charge subscriptions for heated seats and then realized that's a bad idea and we're not going to charge you a monthly service so you don't freeze in the car when you start if you don't have a garage. But let's say you buy something, and this is not a new problem, by the way, as, as a founder of a company that made products that worked with Pandora, you know, you, you get this thing and you like, whether it's like the old school remote control that has a button for a subscription service that you may not pay for or doesn't exist anymore or has dropped their API to a Van Moof e-bike maker. What's your feeling, John, about like products that require these subscriptions, both from a consumer standpoint where they, they, he or she has to pay for that subscription and also from a business standpoint where you're running a business that only works if you continue selling more and more hardware to offset that, that software cost on the flip side of it. So how, how does that balance going into like the next chapter of connected stuff for, for cyclists and VRUs and vehicles? Yeah, I don't see, I'm not a fan of subscriptions. Like most consumers, I'm not a fan of, you know, another subscription that I have to pay for. And I don't think they work, they work in very specific areas. So obviously streaming services, video streaming services that work on, do they work for podcasts? No, you know, um, you have to have some other way of monetizing that podcast if you're going to do it, but they work for streaming video services and Netflix started that. And now we have, you know, scores of that stuff. I used to think that, um, satellite radio was going to go the way of the dodo bird, but it's, it's managed to hang on as well. One of those few things that, that it has, but I think you're right. Um, it was BMW, by the way. Mercedes-Benz also floated the idea. And, and these were kind of, you know, they put the balloon up and, and people sort of shot it down. But I think they were thinking OnStar. But mm -hmm. even OnStar is, what, free for two years now or something. I mean, because you have all these other services available, other ways to do a similar thing. You can set your smartphone up and it has an accelerometer in it. And if you're in a collision, sometimes it'll go off automatically and you don't need OnStar for that. So... Um, but there was, you're also right. There were a lot of people pushing subscription ideas at CES this year. I'm not sure really why, maybe it was because the only way they could think of monetizing their service. I think the way to do it is to piggyback on some other service. And so it's a value added, but you don't have to necessarily subscribe mm. to that individual service. And then it becomes a differentiator for your product that you have this and the other person doesn't. Uh, that's probably the best way to try and get that to fly. Excellent. Uh, last question before we wrap up is looking ahead, uh, what are you excited about going overall in tech? What's the most exciting thing that you're thinking about going into this year? Wow. That's a tough one. <laughs> I, I, um, I look at a lot of like everything from exercise equipment and TVs to audio and cars and stuff. I mean, the most exciting thing for me, I guess, is I do think we're going to see more EVs on the road and you're going to see more EVs, electric vehicles, you know, under $30,000. So the rest of us can buy them and 
they are putting more technology in them all the time. So stuff that might be in a $110,000 Lucid vehicle is actually going to be in like a $30,000 Hyundai or BYD. I think that's pretty exciting. You get into the vehicle and it kind of feels like you're in a luxury vehicle and no gas. Pretty great. Last thing we always like to ask our guests is what kind of podcasts, blogs, newsletters are you up to speed on these days? What are you listening to reading these days? Gosh, uh, well, I read a lot of scientific journals and stuff. So I, I um, also work in bioethics um, and um, present papers at philosophy conferences and things like that having to do with technology and the use of technology and um, even genetic engineering. So I do a lot of reading in those areas. And I think that's also a burgeoning field, the research that's being done, not just in autonomous vehicles and mobility and the use of you know, things like AI, but also in genetics and healthcare. Um, I actually do a lot of stuff that I know that's kind of boring and super nerdy and <laughs> not a lot of fun. Uh, but I do a lot of that. And then, um, yeah, uh, in terms of, you know, I do watch a lot of movies. So that's the other thing. That's my guilty pleasure, I guess. Excellent. Excellent. Well, John, thanks for, for joining us back on the show and giving us your unfiltered feedback of all things tech leading into uh, another strong year. Thanks. And that was John Quain, founder and editor-in-chief of OnTheRoadToAutonomy.com. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Thanks again for listening and see you next time in the bike lane.